1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the Company of Gentlemen Golfers Who Played of Leith, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers Who Play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leith Links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. All right, Colin, we are back for another Silver Club podcast. Count them up. This is number 18, a full round of golf. What do you think? Well done. Steve, you're doing a terrific job with these. <laughs> I... No, no, no. You're, you're, uh, you're the you're the linchpin here. I mean, you guys, uh, you know, you, you you keep the funny. I try to keep the train on the tracks, maybe. And uh, no, but uh, but uh, so so let's let's just talk. Go right into what's going on in the world of golf. I mean, we've got this is like one of the most exciting times of the whole year between FedEx Cup playoffs and great amateur events and uh, all sorts of great stuff going on. You know, people trying to. Uh, key PGA Tour status last week at the Wyndham and and now uh, at the FedEx Cup playoffs at Liberty National and you know we, we have to give a shout out right off the bat to our to our guest uh, this week Garrett Rank he did something as a 31 year old in the Western Amateur uh, just the other day that uh, not many people get to do and was which, which is capture it at Point of Woods in Benton Harbor Michigan so uh, we're going to hear from from uh, the Western Amateur champ, Garrett Rank, in a moment. But, you know, let's just, uh, you know, what's what's kind of going on in your world, Colin? Well, I wanted to, let's, let's honor 31-year-old, a, a legitimate mid-amateur and a legitimate uh, amateur. Like, truly uh, has a, a real job that fortunately dovetails with the opportunity to play golf all summer long. But he outlasted uh, all the college kids, all those young men uh, in a, one of the ultimate marathons of, of amateur competitive golf, something you're very familiar with. Uh, that is tip of the cap. Too bad he's not American. That would get That would be an, that would be another Walker Cup, mid-am on the Walker Cup team for sure. It probably would be. And yeah, that would be uh, that would stir up a whole bunch of conversation, I think. But yeah, he is uh, he is native, native Canadian. So uh, he will he will not be eligible to play on the the U.S. Walker Cup team, but yeah, he he did something something very very special, and it actually it propelled him into the top fifty in the World Amateur Golf Rankings, uh, number forty fifth to be exact, and he's going to end up playing at Pinehurst in the U.S. Amateur, somewhere where you're going uh, next week. You've got a couple players from your Yale team uh, in the field. I'm so excited. Um... Uh, Darren and James um, are going to play on Friday, uh, arranged with a, with a nice connection through John Shimp, uh, Outpost member and friend, his son Henry and, and his teammate on Isaiah Salinda on the National Championship Stanford Cardinal team. They're going to play a friendly four ball with James and Darren at Pine Needles on Friday afternoon prior to the uh, practice rounds. Oh, that sounds like a that sounds like a good time. That's that's summer. That's like college summer golf. Like that's a fun little friendly there. Hopefully they enjoy uh, the match. Maybe we can get an unofficial win out of that. <laughs> and then uh, and then the beautiful Pinehurst four, number two, number four. Can't wait to see the new four. Uh, can't wait. I don't know if I've seen the new two ever since um, Corin Crenshaw came in. So see basically brand new courses that didn't exist when I was there last for the amateur in August of 08. So it's been 11 years since I saw U.S. amateurs there. This will be pretty exciting. Yeah, they're both, they're both great. Uh, I was there, I was there back at the end of March in one of our outpost club events and the founders cup. And it was, it was very, it was very, very good. Both two and four, they, they meld together really well. Gil Hansen, his hall is renovation. uh, It really did, really did a spectacular job. And number four is now, you know, it's got all the, the sandy features really incorporated, uh, just like number two, and uh, what a test! And it's they're both such a test that for the first time ever in the U.S. Amateur, the final match on August 18th is going to be played on both number four and number two, which is uh, which is pretty unique. Usually, it's just on 
the one match play course. Uh, when I played the U.S. Amateurs back in the middle late nineties, you know, we would have we would have you know the two courses where we play the stroke play, and then we just go to the match play course. And uh, you know, I guess they think highly enough of number four uh, to you know to put it in the rotation for the finals. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. It's a real honor. It's a real honor. It's a, it's, I, I think it's a wonderful break from tradition. I know um, it had been uh, considered earlier and maybe even used for one of the four balls at Bandon or something, but uh, why not? They've played it. They'll play one practice round on it. They'll play, they'll have competed on it once. And, uh, you know, I, I guess some years there's a, there's a bit of a discrepancy between the championship caliber of the, of the host course and the second course. And I, not at, not at Piners, two and four, we're equally uh, challenging, so um, that'll be that'll be fascinating. I look, I would love to see another Minam make a run uh, like Garrett. It'll be uh, it'll be awesome to see kids playing with um, with the Walker Cup on the line. It'll be great to see how they how they handle that. I can't imagine seven days of, of practice rounds, qualifiers, matches down in in the Sandhills of Pinehurst in August. That. That's its own endurance. It's going to be warm. It's going to be, yeah, you're right in the, the heart of North Carolina, really. And, you know, the Pinehurst area, definitely known for their, their sandy soil and, you know, which is great for drainage and all that if they happen to get any rain. But, uh, yeah, it's going to, you're going to feel the heat emanate from the, from the, uh, the ground right on up. And, you know, a lot of Gatorades will be uh, consumed, I imagine. Steve, what was it like for you at the end of those major summer campaigns when you were in college? You must have, you must have been exhausted going back to school. I, it's, I never sort of really thought about it since a kid playing 10, 12 tournaments, traveling nonstop. I mean, what was it like? What, what were those summers like for you? It, it certainly busy. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I'd go from, the NCAA to the Sunny Hannah to the Northeast to the Dogwood to uh, yeah I, I don't know if I played in ten or twelve but uh, but yeah there would always be you know there'd be U.S. Amateur qualifying or U.S. Open qualifying somewhere in there and then you know to cap it all off at the U.S. Amateur uh, and then I would just go right into school I mean basically I kind of I kind of move into my apartment or dorm room or whatever the case was. Before I went to the U.S. Amateur, once the U.S. Amateur was done, boom, right into school. So it, it is tiring, but but it's it's actually very interesting. Uh, our friends uh, at the Global Golf Post, uh, it was one of our sponsors of the Silver Club Golfing Society. They, they there was a, a great article. I think Jim Nugent wrote it about kind of the trend, the trend going the other way now because of all the collegiate events. They actually count towards the World Amateur Golf Rankings as they play during the year. And, you know, as, as ranking systems go, and you see this in the professional stage as well, the, the world amateur golf ranking, you know, if you go and you play an event and, you know, it, you, you accumulate a certain amount of points and then you play poorly in one event or something, you know, it might majorly negatively impact your world ranking. So some guys are actually, they're playing a very light summer schedule, uh, you know, the Western amateur and you know, maybe a U.S. Open qualifying and a couple things. So I think the trend has really gone the other way, which is, uh, you know, for, for a lot of them, at least, maybe the, the top, top amateurs like a Brandon Wu from Stanford or Cole Hammer from Texas. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Some of these guys, they're actually kind of going the other way. Right. They're, oh, they're also right. The, the college year is so intense. You can't go you can't go pedal to the metal sort of 365 days a year or, or, or it's just enough. You can only, play, you can only play so frequently. I guess if you take, you take a sort of an average tour pros kind of schedule, what are, they're only averaging two days, two weeks on, two weeks off at best. Right. Yeah. You have to learn to pace yourself. I think, you know, and, and talking about college guys, and I know we haven't chatted in a couple of weeks, but the, you know, what, what these guys, Matthew Wolf, now Colin Morikawa winning at the Barracuda championship and, Victor Hovland almost winning last week at the Wyndham. And, you know, if he had one more event, you know, almost almost would have gotten his card or would have probably would have gotten his card. Um, what these guys are doing right out of college, just keep, it just keeps blowing my mind how ready they are. I was fortunate enough last week uh, to play in the Wyndham Championship. And actually, uh, I was at a dinner and had dinner with Victor Hovland and got to chat with him a little bit. And, uh, you know, what a, what a great young man he is. And he's going to be a, 
uh, a super professional, uh, and he already is a super professional, but he's really going to be, uh, you know, very, very well known uh, very shortly on the grand stage. And but uh, it just what keeps, was your so tell, tell us some highlights mind, though. Tell, tell us tell us some about some takeaways from uh, your most recent your most recent tournament. I enjoyed following it. Yeah, the well, it's uh, you know. To play on the PGA Tour, I mean, as a, as a PGA Club professional that I've been for the last 12 years or so, the, the game has just, it has changed so dramatically from when I was playing from 99 to 2005, really. Um, you know, just the, the distance the players hit it is just so ridiculous. I, I average, and I'm not, you know, I guess I'm not really ashamed to say this, but maybe I am. I averaged, it was wet, mind you. I averaged 271 for the two rounds off the tee, and I was 153rd out of 156 in the field, distance-wise. And and I almost made the cut. I was three under par for the event with six holes to play and made a few bogeys coming in, finished at even par for the event. If I would have made one more birdie, I would have made the cut. Right. And uh, so I was right there, but it was, you know, the greens were so good at Sedgefield. I was holing a bunch of putts and I was able to get up and down and hold six footers and eight footers with regularity. And, but, um, the tour game is just, you, you, you have to carry 300 yards or else you might as well just, you might as well just twiddle your thumbs at home because it's just, it's just one of those things that, uh, you have yeah. to have the T to green stat on the PGA tour, your strokes gained, uh, you know, T to green stat. It, it so correlates with the, the guys in the top of the money list or FedEx cup, uh, I saw a stat that the, the putting, your putting stats really, you know, like the putting leader was like 107th in the FedEx Cup or something. So it just doesn't, putting and, and ball striking are just, you know, they're, they're, you know, the drive for show, putt for dough sort of thing is, uh, that's, a, that's a dinosaur of a saying, I think. You know what? The, 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 that critical balance has been lost. The modern game has altered the equal sort of measure of of distance and finesse long game short game there was a time when it really i gotta tell you like for a guy who's you know trying to try to compete out i just you can't you can't do it guys like zach johnson are 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 you know getting pushed off the tour almost now because they're just they just can't they can't keep up it's terrible i'm uh i'm i i started following the rollback alliance today and whoever they are i want to Join them and help stage a protest and demand <laughs> demand action. I speak from someone who doesn't want to have to, you know, lengthen the yell course by seven hundred yards when we could, you know, we could we could have the game be about shaping again with a spinny ball. But anyway, that's that's that is uh, exciting. That you're, you know, yet another event. Edgefield looks like a wonderful golf course. I've always that's been one of the tour events that I've always wanted to play. What's is it as good as it looks? Edgefield's great. It's a it's a Donald Ross design, and it was it was certainly a treat to play. You didn't have to be a bomber by any means to to play well there or to score well there, um, but uh, you know it certainly doesn't hurt. But it's uh, you know it's got your classic Donald Ross greens and your fall offs and. Uh, it, it, a great mix of holes there, and yeah, it, it's a great ending to the PGA Tour schedule, the regular season schedule, because it really gives everybody, you know, all sorts of players on tour an opportunity to to compete because it's not that bomber's paradise that most places are. Right, one of the exceptions. The um, I've always people have always said Colonial is another example. It's like Annika was true to pick that venue because it required it had so many sort of dog legs that it. A person who could shape it could take advantage of sort of uh, th- there is a sort of limitation on distance if you're not willing to sort of uh, follow the contours of the of the dog leg. And so I wonder if that's another place. So that'd be a good list to know the sort of the statistically the courses where the shorter hitters fare best every year on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I heard Kevin Na made a statement uh, in the last few months. Uh, he said, you know, there's really only is seven or eight golf courses on tour out of the, you know, 40 plus events, mid forties events that they play in that, that he can even compete on. And, and what's, what's truly amazing him guys like him and uh, Matt Kuchar who, who won at Mayakoba and, you know, courses like RBC heritage and, 
you know, there's certain courses that, you know, you can do it on as a shorter hitter, but, uh, for the majority of the game, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is absolute bombs away. And so it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, uh, it, it is, it's, it's, it's over for the shorter hitter, unfortunately on the, on the professional game. For now, for now, <laughs> until, until your rollback happens. <laughs> But uh, you've got some travels to do down to the U.S. Amateur, and we're really looking forward to listening to Garrett Rank right now here on the Silver Club Podcast. So, Colin, look forward to uh, you know, look forward to seeing you soon. I think you're going to come down to the Carolinas, and uh, I'm going to see you on I'm going to see you on Wednesday. I'm coming to scout a kid in 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 your event, but then I'm in the afternoon wave. I'm going to check out this up and coming kid uh scott he's in he's he's playing uh he's got a little eligibility left might might be able to sort of offer him a transfer opportunity (laughs) yeah you're talking about the carolinas open and the uh in uh we're playing uh you know as a carolinas pga member a proud member of the carolinas pga i'm i'm able to play in in some events and uh the carolinas open is at greensboro country club here next week so uh that's exciting and yeah, a lot of a lot of great golf, and then you know, yeah, you'll slide down to Pinehurst and watch your players down there. So a lot of a lot of fun, fun golf, and uh, you can certainly check out the U.S. Amateur on Fox, and and uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's always a great time. The winner of the U.S. Amateur will get an automatic spot onto the Walker Cup team too, which is uh, which is a pretty cool carrot at the end of the end of the stick there for whoever does that if they're not already you know in that Walker Cup mix. Exactly. Anyway, have a a great time, Colin. Safe travels. Look forward to uh, seeing and talking with you soon. See you, Steve. Okay, but before we get to our guest this week in Western Amateur Champion Garrett Rank, I have to say that we couldn't host this podcast without the help of the Silver Club Golfing Society. Our golfing society is growing leaps and bounds every day. We just had a great event at Conway Farms Golf Club in Chicago Congratulations to Brent Landry for capturing our society one day there at Conway Farms. And I'm just chatting with great people every day about our tournament schedule, about where we're going and what we're doing with the Silver Club Golfing Society. I also have to thank all of our partners of the Silver Club, the Dunhill brand, Club Champion, Blast Motion, Global Golf Post, Torch Eyewear, Links and Kings, and Turtleson. For everybody who plays in a Silver Club event this year, your name will go into a raffle for a trip for two of a lifetime over to Scotland to participate in all the events surrounding the Dunhill Links Championship in 2020. So if you want to play some of the country's greatest golf courses and hit shots that matter, then the Silver Club Golfing Society is where you need to be. You can always catch us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at Silver Club Golf and on the web at silverclubgolfingsociety.com. Okay, without further ado, let's get to this week's guest, Garrett Rank, the 117th Western Amateur Champion. Thank you so much. We have Garrett Rank, the newly minted Western Amateur Champion. Garrett, welcome to the Silver Club Podcast. Thanks for having me, Steve. Uh, much appreciated. Dream week last week at the Western and uh, couldn't be more thrilled. What a whirlwind it must have been the last few days. Talk to us a little bit about all the emotions that you've gone through since holding that winning putt there at Point of Woods. Yeah, it's been, uh, been a long time coming uh, for me. I've uh, been playing uh, in the high-level amateur events for five to seven years now and uh, it was a dream of mine and a goal of mine to win uh, a major amateur title and um, just have been playing well all summer and kind of kind of brought a little bit of momentum from the Porter Cup into the Western Am and uh, played pretty good the first day but signed for a 72 and um, you know then my back was kind of against the wall and, and played a nice uh, 67 in the second round and um, then the 36 holes on Thursday just had had a great day and, and snuck into the match play and um, kind of new, uh, new, uh, after the first match, uh, I think I was probably around 63 or 64, uh, with the match play concessions, uh, kind of just knew that, uh, I was onto something and the putter got hot and was hitting it solid and, uh, kind of just 
tried to uh, tried to stay focused and let it go for the rest of the week. And, and what an amazing feeling at the end of the week. Yeah, really cool. And we'll get into a couple of the details of kind of the the progression of the matches and, you know, even through the stroke play portion of that. But let's go back a little bit, um, you know, just kind of you know, for all of our listeners out there, you know, you're, you're kind of like you mentioned, you are no stranger to this arena. Um, three times winner of the Canadian Mid-Amateur, played in the 2018 U.S. Open, almost 20 USGA events, I think, total that you've played in. Just talk about as you came up in life and growing up in Canada, being native Canadian, the blend of hockey and golf and how that kind of maybe worked in your favor of becoming a great player that you are. So growing up in Canada, you're pretty much born with a pair of skates on your feet. Um, you know, everybody plays hockey. It's just uh, it's just what we do up here. And uh, golf was a natural fit with the seasons. So um, it was six months of hockey and six months of golf. And uh, played a lot of sports as a young kid. And um, went to university with the dreams of being a professional hockey player and uh, on a hockey scholarship. And we had a pretty strong golf team. So played on that as well. And um you know, my third year university golf was kind of going a lot better than hockey was. And um, so I made the transition over to golf full time and um, was lucky enough to sneak onto our Canadian national team for three years, uh, with, which kind of built the foundation of my golf game, really. And um, the driving factor for me over the last five to seven years was kind of that mid-am loss. Um, you know, so quickly in my amateur career, I kind of had that carrot dangled in front of me and um, so over the last couple of years, it's just been really a lot of hard work and time and dedication to trying to, uh, to get a major title and, um, just, you know, fortunate and lucky that, uh, I was able to grab one, but, uh, you know, spent a lot of time traveling across the world, playing different amateur events and have been in a lot of, um, really good positions before. And, you know, I've won events here and there and in golf, you lose more than you win, but, um, I think last week it just came down to a point where it was like, hey, you're so close again. Like, this is your time. Let's just go out there and let's win this thing. It's a great point because you uh, and I heard a story from a mutual friend of ours. When you went into the final round of the Porter Cup, you alluded to this a moment ago that you took some momentum from the Porter Cup. Talk to us about that final round that you played at Niagara Falls Country Club and how that how that kind of led you and and built that momentum. Uh, yeah, so I shot 60, uh, 65. It was the low round of the day. Um, was playing good all week and uh, finally just got some putts to drop the last day. And, you know, looking back at the tournament, I think the winner was 10 under and I finished uh, 5 under for the tournament with a bogey on the last hole as a par 3. Um, just hit it in the wrong spot. And so you ultimately lose the week by 5. And, and like every golfer that plays at a high level or even every golfer that plays, you know, just on the weekends at the club, it's easy to find a stroke every round you play where you're like, hey, I want that back, or hey, I could have been one or two better there. So I left the Porter Cup, you know, playing against a very strong field, thinking, man, like, you could have won that golf tournament with a little bit more polish uh, or one swing every day that you'd like back. And um, so it kind of just gave me some confidence going into the Western that, hey, you can compete against these young guys. I mean, I know... I know that I can compete against them. I've competed against them for five or six years, but sometimes it takes just that little bit of belief and, and kind of self-confidence and kind of reassurance going into a tournament that can really make a big difference. Sure, sure. And you're, you know, and let's, let's make sure all of our listeners know that, you know, you're not, you're certainly not fresh out of college, like all these guys that you're playing against or the, that are in college right now. Uh, you're certainly not old by any standards of, of any, but, uh, you know, 31 years old, you know, playing against all the the twenty somethings or or teenagers out there. You know, how do you? Uh, I mean, there's not a ton of mid ams out there playing, and certainly playing at the level that you are. How how do you take that mindset of you know these guys and 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 maybe uh, you know maybe they're hitting it farther than you, or maybe you're hitting it farther than them. I don't know, but uh, you know, how do you take that mindset and try to attack those young college guys? I think I'm really lucky, uh, you know, with the job I have that I can 
pretty much play golf every day from April to September. So I wouldn't really count that as a um, as a disadvantage. You know, I look at it as as being able to put the clubs away for two or three months and have a fresh start. So um, for me, that's a that's a pro. And um, you know, I'm lucky enough that I have a job where I get to work out and stay in shape every day. So the the distance is a isn't a huge factor. I'm, you know, I'm not the longest guy out there, but I'm definitely not the shortest. And um, then I think I just look at it as experience. Um, you know, I think I think experience probably won me a couple holes uh, throughout the week where just knowing that, hey, maybe it's better to miss a green here and chip uphill as opposed to, you know, hit it above the hole or, or be in a certain spot in the green and try and two putt. And, um, you know, being 31, I've played in a, in a bunch of USGA championships, a bunch of high-level tournaments and, um, you know, just being able to be relaxed and, and composed out there. I, I noticed a couple of the guys getting frustrated with bad shots or, um, you know, kind of getting a little bit worked up. And I think um, just with the with the mental approach you have at 31 and the fact that I have a job and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I got to go tie my skates up on, on September 9th. I think it helps. <laughs> yeah, you certainly stay uh, stay really strong. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine all the, the strength that you're, you know, the leg strength you must have and that you build up over the course of the year. And, but you know, during the hockey season, are you able to get out there and, and play and practice much at all? So there's really not too much practicing going on. Um, I did go to uh, Florida and, and, and practice at the um, old corkscrew golf club in, in Estero uh, over the all-star break. Um, I was lucky enough to play eight rounds of golf uh, last last season never with my own clubs either with a really good players clubs from the club or the head pros clubs or a (laughs) rental set but uh um you know what i don't i actually don't mind that um i do like getting out and playing when i can um but it's nice to take a break and kind of recharge and uh you know look forward to uh playing a ton of golf again uh, in the summertime because you know i almost play week in week out 12 to 15 events a summer so you know Come September, I'll be ready to uh, get back on the ice. Yeah, too cool. And and for all of our listeners, and I, I may not have alluded to this, but to all of our listeners out there who don't know what you do during the rest of the year, you are an NHL hockey referee. You started back in 2013 and and got a full time gig out there uh, in the NHL, I believe, in 2016. And how many games do you officiate throughout the season? Uh, so we work 73 uh, regular season games. Um, I went to 30 of 31 arenas last year. Um, just uh, unfortunately never got to uh, Dallas in the regular seasons. Very random, um, our schedule. Uh, so we'll head on the road for um, a week at a time and do three or four or five games and then head home for a couple of days and, and then travel somewhere else to a region and do a couple, work a couple of games there. So um, a lot of travel, uh, never really work back-to-back games in the same city. Um, but yeah, what a what an unbelievable job. It's, a, it's, it's so cool and just the speed that they play and the, with the skill that they play now is incredible. And um, I essentially just tell people that I have uh, the best seat in the arena every night, every, every hockey game I get to watch. That, that, is, that is neat. It is such a fast-moving game. How many officials are on the ice at once? Uh, so there's four officials, uh, two referees, and two linesmen. Got it, got it. Yeah, and yeah, there's really no uh, any line changes out there because I know what for me. I grew up in South Florida, and the first time I ever watched hockey in person, uh, I was probably you know 18 years old or something, and it, it, it blew my mind how fast the line changes happened uh, it, for the for the referees or the officials. Uh, are, are there any line changes? Uh, no, we're no. we're on the ice, all four of us, for all sixty minutes, and uh, the only break we uh, we get are uh, between the whistles. Man, that's got to be uh, yeah. You're you're definitely building that leg strength up. So okay, so I'm going to ask you a couple questions. We're going to play a little game of what is more difficult to do. Okay, so okay. what's more difficult to do? Stand on the first tee of the finals of the Western Amateur or the U.S. Open for that matter, or get hit in the face with a puck from Alex Ovechkin? <laughs> uh, de- definitely uh, definitely getting hit in the face uh, with a puck from Alex Ovechkin. That was not enjoyable. Um, thankfully, kept all my teeth. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I was uh, pretty pretty nervous on the uh, first tee at the U.S. Open, but uh, I felt fine uh, during the Western Amateur, and I think that's kind of just relates back to uh, being in trying to put yourself in that situation as many times as possible. Yeah, and you played in that 2018 U.S. Open at Shinnecock. Uh, okay, so so here's another question: What's more difficult, skating backwards, trying to make a call on the ice, or a downhill slider from five feet to win the match? Uh, downhill slider from five feet to try and win the match for sure. Uh, <laughs> I've skated backwards my whole life, and I get paid to to make calls in a split second. So I I hope I'd be pretty good at that. Wow, that's yeah, that's. Uh... That's something. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really uh, <laughs> yeah, going going backwards and going and, and moving fast, mind you, uh, as 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 fast as the hockey, the game of hockey goes. All right, so let's let's just talk a little bit about this 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 the biggest week really of your life last week at Point of Woods, Benton Harbor, Michigan. Um, you know, players like Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus, Ben Crenshaw. Steve Scott, Phil Mickelson uh, have captured the Western Amateur title. Now Garrett Rank's name is on that trophy forever. What what is it like to be on the uh, have your name on the trophy with players like that? It's really humbling, um, super cool for lack of a better word. I mean, um, just to like see those names on there was pretty special. Um, you know, I tried to tell the people afterwards that there's not a player in the field this week that's happier to to win this trophy that's worked harder to win this trophy and um could be more humble than will represent uh you know what what this trophy means to the game of amateur golf i um i've dedicated a lot of time and energy to the game and just uh yeah super 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 pumped to uh to win a major and and for it to be the western am and and it was a huge weekend for canadian golf on top of what you did at the Western, uh, Taylor Pendrith became the first Canadian to win on the McKenzie Tour, uh, and five Canadians qualified for the FedEx Cup playoffs. So, golf is uh, is very hot in Canada right now. Yeah, I was uh, super excited for Taylor. Uh, we went to the Kentucky Derby together. We uh, drove from Florida at the end of the season up to uh, up to uh, Kentucky to watch the uh, the Derby, and that was a fun day. I spent it with uh, him and Corey Connors and. Um, so back in 2014 and 15, uh, Mackenzie Hughes, Corey Connors, Taylor Pendrith, Adam Svensson, and Garrett Rank were on the Canadian national team, and um, I went a different direction than they than they did. I, I chose refereeing, but uh, we still all stay in touch and couldn't be more uh, excited and proud for those guys. Uh, Taylor's got a ton of talent. He hits it the farthest I've ever seen anybody hit it, and uh, you know his ceiling is so high, so... It was great. He's been dealing with some injuries, and it's just great to finally see him get a victory and kind of, uh, you know, break out a little bit. And I think that probably, I would hope, I think he's got a second and a third uh, with that win. So I'd hope that'd be good enough for him to uh, get on the Corn Ferry Tour next year. That's 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 very cool. And before we before I do get to this Western Amateur, I I have to ask you just because you kind of brought it up there, what you know, all those guys and their professional you know dreams are are being are being met right now and Adam Svensson who I actually played with uh, at the Wells Fargo Championship earlier in the year he plays in the PGA Tour and but what why didn't you really turn pro what kind of what was the impetus to really drawing you towards the the officiating and not the professional golf game I've got a pretty conservative personality um, and I just kind of there was really no guarantees in golf um, back in the day it kind of scared me uh, wouldn't really scare me anymore but I just there really wasn't that like self-belief where I thought I was good enough to make it. I knew I was a great player, but um, I just saw a lot of really great players try and play pro golf and kind of spin their tires for a while. And um, I had this other opportunity with the NHL that I really couldn't say no to. And, um, you know, my dad was a big influence on my life and he unfortunately passed away um, five years ago. But um, he just kind of sat me down one day and said, listen, dude, let you know, you've got a huge opportunity here with the NHL. You'll be able to play golf. You know, I, I love your golf game. I think it's, you know, great for you to do. I love playing golf too. But, man, you got a, you know, you got a great living and a, and, a, and something that you're going to love going work to work for the rest of your life and love doing. 
so that was kind of uh kind of why I, I i chose the the hockey route and and you know what i have no regrets i see what i've done in amateur golf and and you know get to play some of the best courses around the world every year and um you know luckily and fortunate i you know i'm pretty successful at doing it as well yeah you don't have to uh make any of those downhill slider five footers to uh, make the cut and, and uh, pay for uh, dinner or, or uh, accommodations that week do you yeah exactly <laughs> you're not playing for your life i think that that's a that's that's a huge thing and it's a it's a it's a mentality that you have to have and you know, you, you obviously took a great mentality into the 117th Western Amateur up at Point of Woods. Um, just getting into that event is difficult. And, you know, for, for all of our listeners who don't know the schedule of the Western Amateur, it is a grueling, grueling event. It's as grueling as any event out there. Uh, you play 72 holes of stroke play. Uh, you play 18, 18, and 36. And then you play... You have to play four rounds of match play just to win the event. But for you, in the stroke play, you finished fifth in the stroke play portion, which was great. But if you would have shot 68 in the fourth round, you wouldn't even have made it to match play. Talk to us about that fourth round and how you how you were able to, to do that. Yeah, I think I was in – I think I was around uh, T26 going into the 36 holes on Thursday and um, started on the back nine, and, and I think I was two under on the back nine and uh, playing very well and got to the second hole at Point of Woods, and it was kind of a risk-reward hole. It was 565, um, you know, full par five, um, carrying it over of a ravine, and um, I made two great swings. I almost – you know, it was kind of kicking myself because I, I probably hit the best drive I've uh, hit on that hole all week. And it kind of just left me in a spot where I would have had to hit an 85 yard uh, layup. And I was like, I was like, man, you're playing in the Western Am. Like if you can't hit a if you can't hit a 235 yard shot like to the middle of the green, you know, you might as well pack up and go home right now. So um, put a great swing on it. Uh, thought it was perfect, and it literally came up a yard short into the into the long stuff. But I ended up making double bogey and uh, made a couple late uh, late bogey or late birdies to I think shoot even seventy. And um, it was like you know what that was a, a really solid round of golf, and you made you know you made a double bogey with two great swings. So I was in pretty good spirits going into the uh, afternoon round, and um, kind of just got to a where. Uh, I think I made a three on 60. I started again on 10 and got off to a decent start. It was one under early and made a three on 16, a three on 17, a three on 18, a three on uh, number one, made a birdie on number two, and then I think uh, made a couple, you know, three more, four more threes after that. So it was just, it was just a really, really solid round of golf. Didn't really change anything from the morning and uh, just added up to the low round of the day, which was the same as the Porter cup. And, um, you know, yeah, 65, huge momentum for me. Yeah. Shot. Huge, huge momentum for me. And, uh, just a lot of like self belief, you know, Hey, if you play, if you play your best round of golf, it was good enough for the low round of day. So if you play your best round of golf in all these matches, there's no way you can't win. So, um, I don't think it was anything that I changed my swing or anything like that. I think it was just, um, confidence and um, just kind of the the will and determination that hey this is this is going to be a great week let's go and get this done. When you hang around all the the professional hockey players that you do and and you're always around that mentality, do you take that mentality to the golf course at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we talk a lot, or we talked a lot in the past about. Um, you know, having, having, um, you know, playing with confidence, having that like self-belief, um, I would say hockey players are fun to be around and kind of like border on a little bit cocky and confident. Um, and you know, there's a, there's a way that you can kind of be cocky in, in a non outwardly way. And I think that's really important for guys who are successful in, in all sports. And um, I think a lot of athletes, kind of have that uh, a little bit of uh, cockiness to them and, and kind of self-belief that uh, I feel is extremely important. Yeah, super important in an individual sport like golf. And in hockey, I guess if you're not feeling it that, that night, you, you can pass the puck and do what you need to do. But in golf, you always you always have the puck. And, and you, you, 
you carried that momentum on uh, your first round uh, against Hidetoshi Yoshihara, UCLA rising senior. You shot 30 on the back nine, uh, won the last two holes to win two up there. You moved on to the quarterfinals. You were three down through six. Then you win three holes in a row. And then you're two down through 11. And then you close that match out against Turk Pettit, uh, Clemson rising senior, by winning the 12th, the 13th, the 15th, and the 16th. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of looked at, at how your matches went. And a lot of them went that way. Like you were kind of down a little bit. And then you'd go on some some tear of, you know, three or four holes in a, in a you know, four or five hole stretch. And, you know, would you say that that's uh, common for you, that you just you're able to flip that switch and turn it around? Yeah, I really, um, I really didn't love the the fifth hole tee shot. It was a great little short hole, but um, you had to really hit a low right to left shot off the tee. And um, so, kind of after we got through five every match, I knew if I was like hanging around that I had a chance because I loved six, I loved seven, I loved eight, and I loved nine. And I always played those holes really well all week. And I don't know what it was about them, but. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the matches I was climbing my way back there and then I and and then 12 through 15 or sorry 10 through 15 just set up so well for my game big high cuts off the tee and um, you know they were kind of there was a few birdies but pars were great scores and um, I feel like I I made uh, I made my money this week uh, kind of in that stretch of holes I uh, in the past, I have had some been playing in some USGA four ball tournaments where I was uh, in the semifinals. We were four up through five, and I've been uh, five up through eight before and lost both matches. So I knew when uh, on uh, uh, the the round of uh, eight on uh, Friday afternoon that when I got three down through six, he had made four birdies in the first six holes. I knew that like, hey, there's still a chance here. You haven't gifted him anything. He's went out and earned it. And now you got to go out and earn it yourself. So um, that was that was an experience that I leaned on, um, just knowing that hey, you're you're three down early, but there's a ton of golf left. And um, you know, I was lucky enough to to win seven, eight, and nine to um, get back to all square heading into the back nine. Uh, my first match against um, Hidetoshi was was awesome. It was unbelievable golf. I think I I don't think he hit a bad shot um, all day. And I hit a bad shot on 15, but, uh, you know, it was solid golf, 15 feet or less in every hole. We were making birdies. And, uh, you know, that was probably the that was probably the lowest score I shot to par um, all week. And um, I made uh, I kind of I kind of apologized to him after the round. I I, I rolled in. Uh, I rolled in, honestly, a 60 footer for Eagle on uh, on number 14. And then on number 15, I probably made a f- another 50 footer on him. So wow. it was one of those it was one of those days where you know what he didn't deserve to lose um again i guess someone was you know just pulling for me and and i rolled in a couple uh a couple of really 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 long putts that you don't you don't usually make yeah fate has its way of of intervening sometimes and you you made it through uh the semis against david laskin you won four holes in a row to go four up there you get you and then you took that commanding lead all the way to the end uh, and then the finals, you beat uh, Daniel Wetterick, who just graduated from Ohio State and ended up winning three and two. Um, you know, with all this confidence that you had, was there any point in that final match where you, you, you doubted yourself or was it just full pedal down all the way? You know what? I mean, there was points uh, throughout the whole week where I kind of doubted myself. I, I got a funny story. I, I stayed at a member's house and uh, he headed back to Chicago on uh, on Monday night and I left Tuesday morning uh, to go to the course and I locked the door behind me and walked the gate of the house and went to the golf course and was fully prepared to drive home after the round because uh, I you know was in, I think, 97th going into, uh, going into that uh, round and uh, played a nice game and made the cut. So um, there's a lot of a lot of um, you know times in golf um, and you're out there for so long that bad things creep into your mind and um, you know what in the finals I think uh, you know it was a long week I was getting tired I, I got off to a nice start I made birdie on one and uh, made a mistake on two one three he birdied four birdied five 
I won six. I, I birdied seven and we tied with birdie on eight and I, and I birdied nine. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of like momentum swinging both ways on the front nine. I think we only have the first hole we had was number eight. Um, so, you know what? I wasn't really worried about what he was doing. I was just trying to control what I could control. And, um, I think a big thing for me going into this, this week was I'd started working with, um, Dr. Richard Ennis from the university of Waterloo, um, just on some, some mental approach to the game, um, you know, tricking, tricking your, you know, your right side of, of your brain, which is the emotional side of your brain, um, by squeezing your right hand, which activates the left side of your brain. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't be giving all away my secrets right now, but, uh, <laughs> so, um, the, uh, analytical side is on your left side. And if you squeeze your right hand, uh, if you're mad about something, it like kind of tricks your brain once you, if you pick out five objects or five, five colors in your surroundings. So, uh, and then we were breaking, we were breaking round a gol- round of golf into small pieces. So we play three whole matches against ourselves or even one whole matches against ourselves, as opposed to going out on the course, um, and just thinking that we had to shoot a score. Um, you know what, we'd be happy with the day if we won four or five of those six matches, you know, no matter what the score was. Um, and you know, so just, just doing these little things that I'd never thought about before and, and kind of taking a different approach. It wasn't, it wasn't changing, you know, my golf swing or changing anything I did. I think it was just a little bit of a, of, of a different, um, mental mind space that I was in out there that really kind of made the difference for me. That's, that's wonderful stuff. A, a good friend of mine, one of the most renowned teachers out there, Michael Hebron from the Met section in New York, he, his, his big mantra always is mindsets before skill sets. And, and, and so what, what you just said right there really, really brings that all together and dials that one home. And that's, yeah, at the end of the day, there's so many players out there that have the physical makeup to hit any shot they want and hit the ball over 300 yards. But to will those putts in like you did, those 50 and 60 footers that you did to ultimately catapult you to victory that is uh that is really something and and a a testament to your your mental strength and and so so moving forward now you're gonna have to use that mental strength because uh you know just recently you were uh you moved up in the world amateur golf rankings from 97th to 45th which gives you an automatic invitation to play in the u.s amateur next week tell us about how you're feeling about that news that you just got yeah, super excited uh, to play in the USAM again this year. Um, I love Pinehurst number two, and um, I never really paid attention to the rankings that much until um, I got a phone call from the USGA saying that in order to get into the USAM, there was no automatic exemption for the Western winner, but I needed to be in the top 50. So for about a day and a half there, I was crunching numbers on potentially what I could get for winning the tournament, and if I was... Uh, whether or not I was going to get enough points to get in or not. But, um, yeah, super, super excited to go down to Pinehurst. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's just another golf tournament, another game of golf. You go there and you can play really well. You can go there and not play well at all. Um, you know, I got to be I got to be really smart about not applying any extra pressure to myself with the success of last week and um, just go out there. And at the end of the day, remember that I play golf. Um, during my vacation time for work so it's supposed to be fun and I'm supposed to enjoy uh, my time on the course and um, just soak it all in because you never know when uh, when you get when you're going to get to be back great perspective there great perspective now we're, we're almost done here but before we before we go I got you got to tell our podcast our silver club podcast listeners you know what what is your you know you you're playing stroke play and match play in in all these events U.S. Amateur Western Amateur. What is your is, is there a maybe a biggest difference that you take as far as mindset into stroke play versus match play? So in in stroke play, you're you know all eighteen holes count, so you're essentially being a little bit more patient. Um, you know maybe taking a little more safer lines. Um, maybe hitting, you know, adding, adding two or three yards on your approach shots so you don't short side yourself. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really change that much. And I think I've had some success in uh, playing match play golf by, by kind of treating it like a stroke play round. 
but at the same time you're you're trying you're playing against another opponent so if they're in trouble you kind of are, are taking a little bit more of a conservative approach but a few times last week you know you feel like your opponent was out of the hole and he'd find a way to make a, a par and you're standing in the middle of the fairway just center icing your your shot onto the green and then two putting and you're like oh like i probably should have been a little bit more aggressive so um i think there's some keys to match play you when you have the honor you need to drive the ball in the fairway i mean it puts a lot of pressure on the other guy and um you know sometimes when you're on the green if if you're putting first and you can make a putt um you know it it makes his putt a little bit longer so i think it's i think it's important to get the ball in the hole first and um, when you do have the honor and when you're due up, I think it's important to, um, you know, keep the pressure on. But at the same time, if you're, uh, if you're playing well, um, you know, you're going to hit good shots and that's going to take care of itself. But, uh, my approach last week, I had, uh, just played, a um, a kind of a, a 18 hole qualifying, uh, and then 30 or 36 holes a day round of 16, um, down, um, invitational up in Northern Ontario at the Idlewild golf club. And, um, my brother was up there and he's won the tournament a couple times. Uh, he's a pretty good stick himself. And so he was talking a bunch of smack and we ended up meeting in the finals. And, uh, luckily enough, I was able to overcome the older brother's strength and take him down. But, um, I kind of just, uh, kind of just put my brother's face on, uh, on everybody I was playing and just tried to imagine that I was playing him and, and know how much it would have pained me to lose to him. So, um, that was kind of my prevention on on uh staying away from a loss uh, last week there you go that's a that's a great way to do it all right so 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 finally here there's been so much written about you over time you know when you qualified for the u.s open at shinnecock and you know a lot been written about you know you're an nhl referee you're a cancer survivor what is something that we don't know about garrett rank uh. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, like maybe you have I mean, a pet tarantula, or maybe you like riding unicycles. I don't know what what sort of like uh, what sort of fun. I don't know, like what sort of fun uh, things. What, what's one fun thing maybe that uh, maybe you're superstitious about something? No, I'm I'm actually I'm actually pretty boring. I'm very uh, <laughs> very concentrated, very busy with hockey in the uh, in the winter time and play golf every day all summer. So. Um, doesn't really leave much time for for anything else, but uh, just a happy-go-lucky guy with uh, that's that's perspective on life has been changed by um, a few of life's um, incidents, and uh, just uh, super happy to be playing golf and, and kind of living uh, living the Canadian dream as we'll, as we call it. Well, I know one thing I'm super happy about that you're. You've uh, been gracious enough to be part of our Silver Club Golfing Society advisory board, and and I'm just so happy that, that you are are achieving the success in the game of golf that you know that you can. And and you know what, I, I, I there's more to come for uh, for Garrett Rank. I'm uh, I'm I'll be glued to my TV next week watching the Fox coverage at Pinehurst for the U.S. Amateur. And uh, and then we'll just we'll have to watch you on the ice come uh, September October and uh, <laughs> all your officiating. Yeah, make sure you take it easy on me. I've uh, been playing a lot of golf this summer, so uh, take take a couple of weeks to knock some rough rust off. But I'm sure uh, I'm sure I'll remember how to how to skate out there. Well, Garrett Rank, thank you so much for being part of our Silver Club podcast today, and best of luck next week at Pinehurst. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate you having me and. Uh, Everybody find the middle of the fairway and roll some putts in for me.